Go with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. And I'm going to start off with a question. Were you aware that there are three roles that God has appointed for a local church? You want to guess what any of those three are? Pastor? Yes? Learn, grow, share. I like that. Thank you. That isn't from the Bible, but thank you for saying that. All right, so pastor, somebody else? Elder? Elder and pastor are the same thing, but that, that's good. Deacon? All right, we got two. What are you all? You are the church. You are saints. So here we go. Three roles that God has appointed in the local church, they are saints, bishops, and deacons. Well, where are you getting that, Bob? We could look several places, but we're going to look at Philippians 1.1. You don't have to turn there. I have that for you on the screen. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. There they are. Is there overlap there? Yeah. If you were going to try to graph it, you'd probably do circle, circle, so elders, deacons, and then they are part of the saints. Because the elders and deacons better be saints. That's not spelled out necessarily in First Timothy, but that's an expectation. Now, in our congregation, we have membership. That is an application of what I see in the scriptures. So you could say it this way, paraphrasing, that there are members. You say, why, why can you substitute member for saint in this? Well, because in our church, in order to become a member, you have to bear witness to the fact that you are a believer in Jesus Christ for salvation, and you have to have been baptized after you were saved. So, therefore, if you are a member of this church, then the best this church body knows you are a saint, all right? So we have saints, bishops, and deacons. Today, we're not really focused on membership, but the main focus for today, as I said, is leadership, and specifically bishop. And you can substitute the word elder, or shepherd, or pastor, and we'll explain that in just a moment. For right now, would you stand with me, and I'm going to read seven verses. This chapter, I'm, I'm sure many of you have read before, studied before, heard preached before. The first seven verses are about elders, qualifications of elders, and then it gets into the qualification for deacons. Today, we're just going to focus on these first seven. First Timothy 3, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we thank you that you are God and that you've revealed yourself to us in your scriptures. 
We thank you, Lord, that you have established the church, that you have united us in Christ, that you have given us some guidelines as a local congregation. And as we explore these qualifications of elders this morning, we pray that you would give us understanding. Help us to know what you are describing through Paul. Help us to know what you're not describing. Lord, I thank you for the body here that you have knit together, that you have formed, that you have gathered. And Lord, we thank you for those who have publicly declared that they are followers of you. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity now to consider as a church additional elders. And we pray that you would give us understanding and that you would give us clarity on your will. Father, so many of these qualifications apply to all of us as believers. So let this not be academic or rote this morning, but please speak to us by your Holy Spirit that we would know areas in our own lives where we need help, where we need work, where we need change. Father, I ask for your help for me, that you would give me clarity of thought, clarity of voice, that your words would come through today, and that you would give us ears to hear them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Two main points from this passage, these seven verses. The first is that God has provided specific qualifications for church leaders. God has provided specific qualifications for church leaders. That, I hope, was obvious in reading through it. We'll talk about the individual qualifications as we go. But second, rather than just say, okay, he fits that bill, just as a checklist, let's not go through it as this is for someone else. Because as we look at these qualifications, we need to understand that most of them, not all of them, but most of them apply to all of us who are believers. So that's the second point. Most of the qualifications are also commands for all believers. I'm not going to run down all those cross-references today. But you could, or we could on another occasion, in another service, come up with, oh yeah, there's a command to do this, there's a command to do that, that parallel what we're studying today about elders. Hopefully that makes sense, and hopefully it'll make more sense as we go. Let's go back to verse 1 together. There we read Paul writing to Timothy, who is a younger man, who was an elder, perhaps we would say a lead pastor or elder at the church of Ephesus. He's writing to him, telling him, be strong, be courageous, trust in the Lord, preach the word, giving him those kind of commands. And here, in the middle of this first letter to Timothy, we call it a pastoral epistle, a pastoral letter, He describes what it takes, what the requirements, qualifications are of a church leader, specifically a bishop. So he says, this is a faithful saying. This is the truth, Timothy. Pay attention. Listen up. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, some of you, if you have a different translation, you don't have the word desires twice in that verse. But I'm reading from a New King James. Understand that here I have two of them, but they're different Greek words. That's why some of you don't have desires twice. The first one, you may have the word aspires. I like the word seeks. If a man seeks the position of a bishop, to reach out after it is what that means. That's an external action. It's saying, I am willing to serve. I desire to serve. 
I desire to prepare myself so that God can use me. It's that kind of thing. That's the first one. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires, and that's an inward desire, that's a strong passion, he desires internally a good work. So we have both components. We have the outward, the external action. We have the inward desire. And it is the position of a bishop. You and I probably haven't used that word this week. Bishop. Some of your translations will say overseer. That's a good translation as well. What are we talking about? The principal official in a local church. That's who we're talking about. And as you read your New Testament, please remember that elder, pastor, and bishop are interchangeable. Shepherd would be another one that you can, you can substitute out. They're interchangeable terms that are describing the same position. John Corson, in his commentary, said this. The Greek word translated elder doesn't speak of chronological years. An elder, believe it or not, doesn't have to be old. We're not talking about an ancient person, not necessarily retired, but someone who is spiritually mature. And therefore, the elder term describes the man himself. The Greek word translated here, bishop, means overseer, as we just said. So bishop describes the ministry that we're talking about. Elder describes the man. Bishop describes the ministry. And then third, the Greek word translated pastor means shepherd. So pastor describes the method. Who is this person? An elder. What is he doing? He's overseeing. That's the ministry. How is he overseeing? In a loving, caring, shepherding, feeding, leading kind of way. The terms are interchangeable and they work together. Now, we're not going to talk much about deacons today, but those are the two offices that the scripture lays out. We have the office of elder, the office of deacon. So how are they alike? How are they different? If we were to spend time, and we have in the past, you can go to the website and, and find the sermons that were on this entire chapter for elder and deacon, but many of the qualifications are the same. They, there's a lot of overlap here. So what are the differences? Elders are church leaders responsible to God for the care of the spiritual needs. There's more of an emphasis on the spiritual needs and the oversight of the church. And when I say the church, understand, I'm not talking about a building where we meet. I'm talking about the people who make up the church. Deacons are church leaders who are responsible to God for the care of the physical and the practical needs of the congregation. They are both well-qualified. They are both have qualifications that are quite high, spiritually speaking. Lots of similarities. Another difference that I'll point out in a moment. Now, as far as elders... As you read the New Testament, it was common to have more than one, to have a plurality of elders. That's how our church is set up, to have elders and deacons, ideally, and we're working toward that. Where am I getting that? Well, I read to you Philippians 1.1 a few moments ago, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops, that's plural, and deacons, that's also plural. So saints, bishops, and deacons, they're all plural. How about that? Here's another one. Titus 1, and I'll make reference to this a few times today, the parallel to this passage in Timothy is over in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Titus 1, 5 through 9, and here's that first verse. For this reason I left you in Crete. Who's I? Paul. I, Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, the Isle of Crete, that you should, here's what you're supposed to do, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. 
straighten out whatever is not right in the churches on the island of Crete. And what is part of that? To appoint elders, notice it's plural, to appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So what does he do as he helps the church get straightened out how to function well? He's supposed to appoint elders. More than one, plurality. Going back to our verse now in Timothy, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Your translation may say a noble task. It is a good work. It is also a hard work. What would make it a hard work? Why would that be? And the answer is, I don't mean this irreverently, my boss is God. Okay, it's his church. Let me illustrate it this way. If I were to borrow your vehicle, your car, your truck, I'm looking at a few of your your motorcycle. I wouldn't know what to do with one, but if I were to borrow your vehicle, your boat, I would take care of it. I would take extra good care of it. Why would I do that? I'm responsible. What, What was that? It's not mine. It's not mine. Why is this a hard task? Why is this a serious task, a difficult task? Because this church is not mine. I hope as you're out in the community, you you invite people to our church. And it's okay to say this is my church, this is our church. I like the ownership there. But you understand, I trust, it's not your church. And it is not my church. And any other elders we have, it's not their church. It is the church of the living God. This belongs to him. Now, he has established leaders for his church. There's no question there. But it's his church. It belongs to him. So as we move into, beginning of verse 2, these qualifications, there are specific qualifications that God has given us through Paul. And we need to understand, right off the bat, there needs to be that desire, a willingness to serve. There needs to be the qualifications we're about to look at. But let's understand, this list that we're about to read, it doesn't say, is this person the best leader around? Hopefully so, but just having natural leadership ability, being great at work, doesn't necessarily mean that you should be an elder. Um, Giving, it's wonderful to give to the Lord's work, but the people who give the most don't automatically become elders. That's not how that works. Someone who is volunteering, serving a lot, that's great. Please do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that person should become an elder. So we need to see what the Bible says here. And as we go through them, you're going to see the focus is on godly character. This is so much more about who that elder is than what he does. He should have spiritual gifts. He should exemplify what we read here. And that means that he has godly character because of what God the Holy Spirit has done in his life. And as I mentioned earlier for our second point, that all believers should be striving to follow the example set forth here because so many of these apply to all of us whether you're ever a deacon or an elder or or any title any office we're supposed to do these things we're supposed to do these things for one another verse two a bishop and if if you don't care for that term overseer pastor elder shepherd i will normally be saying elder probably most of the time today but a bishop then must be 
blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Notice that it says he must. This is absolutely necessary. If someone's going to serve as an elder, a bishop, these things must be true. And what's the first one that's mentioned? That he be blameless. What does blameless mean? Blameless means without reproach. Now, that doesn't mean flawless. That does not mean perfect. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here, and we would never have any elders. That's impossible. None of us is perfect. All of us have sinned. All of us are still dealing with sinful flesh. We struggle. I trust you struggle. I I hope you're, you don't have to nod right now or raise your hand or anything, but that you struggle daily with sin, with attitudes, with thoughts, with words, with actions. So it's not flawless or nobody would be qualified. But literally, this word blameless means not able to be held. Someone said, there's no valid accusation of wrongdoing that can be made against him. If, if someone accuses an elder of wrongdoing, whether it be money or adultery or whatever, that that, that seems absurd. Not that a person can't fall into sin, but that there's not an accusation that's going to stick because that person, by God's grace, is living a righteous life. This blameless requirement is the overarching requirement for elders. And the other qualifications we see here expand on that idea. So I I have a visual aid for you to help. It's the umbrella. Blameless is the umbrella under which all the rest of these fall. If a man is blameless, following God, not perfect, but dealing with all known sin, living an ethical life, then all these other things will fall into place. Blameless is the overarching requirement. Let's get into the specific requirements under blameless. The husband of one wife. Literally, it says a one-woman man. Notice that by the inspiration of of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't talk about whether he is single, divorced, remarried, or widowed. We can talk about those things and how they would play in, but what does it say? It kind of assumes that he's married and that his life is one that is pure, that he is being faithful to his wife. A one-woman man. This is moral and sexual purity. Someone said this means that the leader is not an adulterer or a flirt and that he does not show romantic or sexual interest in other women, including the depictions or images of women in pornography. This man is keeping himself pure. He is keeping his wedding vows to his wife. Beyond being the husband of one wife, he is temperate. Your translation may say sober-minded. That Greek word literally means wineless, as in without alcohol. That's what it literally means. But it's being used figuratively here to mean that he's alert, he's watchful, he's vigilant, he's clear-headed. He's able to think clearly. Another way to see that is that he's, he's not easily swayed. He's not living by his emotions, his feelings. He's living by biblically informed wisdom thoughts not necessarily feelings 
He is sober-minded, which is very closely related to temperate. A sober-minded man is disciplined. He is serious about spiritual matters. Someone else described it as self-controlled. This does not mean when it says sober-minded, it doesn't mean that he has no sense of humor. It doesn't mean that he can't crack a joke or smile or laugh. What does it mean? It means that whatever needs to be taken seriously, this man takes seriously. He's not going to go do a stand-up comedy routine at a funeral. That's not appropriate. That's not helpful. He's not going to laugh at sin. He's going to take serious things seriously. And that's what it means to be sober-minded. Of good behavior. Literally, orderly. Not chaotic. So if this man can't bring order to his own life, how is he going to help bring order to the household of God? If, I realize we have differing gifts. Not everyone is super organized or has administrative gifts. But it can't be just life out of control. That doesn't fit for an elder. Hospitable. The word hospitable, you may recognize, you may have learned before, that the word behind that means love of strangers. It's a different time and place, but to have someone into your home because there's not an appropriate hotel to stay in. Now we do this more, might take somebody out to eat, might have somebody in our home for a meal, not so much having people stay overnight because we're in a different culture, a different time. But an elder needs to be willing to extend himself and his life is available. Now whether that involves coming to his house or not, probably it will, but Maybe he's going to get with another guy for coffee, or he's, his family's going to get with another family. If you have young children, maybe you go to the park or the playground. There's going to be life-on-life life accountability, life-on-life life ministry and discipleship. That's what that hospitable, extending yourself to others. John MacArthur wrote, their lives and homes are to be open so that all can see their spiritual character. That brings us to the next phrase, able to teach. Able to teach. That sets this apart from deacon. Deacons don't have a requirement to be able to teach. Does that mean a deacon can't teach? No, it doesn't. I believe that the first deacons were chosen in the book of Acts, Acts 6. And if you read that, the first two that are listed that they chose, who were spirit-filled men, are Stephen and Philip. We often think of Stephen as the first martyr of the church, and he was a faithful man. But he preached a long sermon, if you read it in chapter 7 of Acts. He's a great preacher. Philip, often called Philip the evangelist, knew how to handle the word of God. So it's not that a deacon can't, but an elder must be able to handle the word of God. Does that mean an elder has to get up and preach? No. Not necessarily. He can. Does he have to teach, I don't know, a Sunday school class or a children's class? No, not necessarily. A small group? Maybe. He should be able to because what this is really getting at, I believe, is ability to handle the word of God. We read elsewhere in, in the letter to Timothy, to rightly divide the word of truth. It means that a man who's qualified to be an elder is in this book 
is studying it on his own, is interacting with it, and has learned by the grace of God to apply it to his own life and can share that information with others. He is going to disciple family members. He's going to disciple friends, neighbors, coworkers. He's going to have an appropriate word to say that is biblically focused. That word that is in season. And yes, be able to teach, be able to counsel, be able to witness, evangelize. All of those things that we do with the word of God when we are speaking it because we've experienced it, we've studied it. We are sharing it with others. I mentioned that there are parallels. The, the way this is described over in the Titus passage, Titus 1.9, says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may, may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So those who are disagreeing with the scripture, he can argue from the Bible. That doesn't mean that he has to go have a, a big debate publicly, but he can Give an answer is the way Peter describes it. Give an answer of the reason of the hope that lies in him with meekness and, and, and fear, the right type of godly fear. Verse 3 continues. He's not given to wine. He is not violent. You notice that there are a few more negative statements than positive statements in here, but there are a bunch of negatives here. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. So that first one, not given to wine, what are we saying here? Well, the command isn't just saying not to be drunk. Again, it could say that. It could say that he's not a drunkard. But we wouldn't expect him to be a drunkard. The scripture commands that of any believer. Drunkenness is a sin. So this is a higher standard than that. What does it look like? Again, I'm going to quote John MacArthur here. He says, an elder must not have a reputation as a drinker. His judgment must never be clouded by alcohol. His lifestyle must be radically different from the world and lead others to holiness, not to sin. He's not going to cause others to stumble. And we, we've touched on this before. The sin is drunkenness. But what this is saying is that an elder is placing a higher standard on his own life. That he, he does not love wine. He's not pursuing that. He doesn't... and and understand that can be extended to other addictive substances it's not limited to wine and beer's okay that's not what i'm saying but things that cloud our thinking are things for an elder to avoid so that he does not have his judgment impaired that he's available to teach the word as we were just saying and that he's not going to cause others to stumble He's not violent. You would not expect an elder to go get in a fist fight every week or any week, probably, in most cases. So he, he's not a giver of blows is what that means. And that he's able calmly and gently to deal with situations, even difficult ones. He's not out looking for fight. He's not picking a fight. The next phrase is not greedy for money. And some of you are thinking, I don't have that. Well, right, because some of the manuscripts don't include that phrase in this verse. 
that's okay because the Titus passage does. So it's a biblical concept for sure. Titus 1.7, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Hopefully these descriptions are sounding familiar now. Not greedy for money. That's all I'll say about that because we're going to come back to the idea in just a minute. Gentle. So if we take out the not greedy for money, that does roll rather well. He's not violent, but gentle. He's considerate. He's gracious. He's going to show love and compassion to others. He's quick to forgive. He doesn't carry a grudge. Along with that, he's not quarrelsome. Again, not picking a fight. This is not someone that if you're in a conversation with him, every time he has to score points, he has to win. He has to make sure that you know his opinion and you agree with his opinion if all possible. If not, he's going to keep talking until he convinces you or wears you out. That's not the type of person we're talking about. This person is gentle. He is not quarrelsome. He is peaceful. Someone said he does not promote disunity or disharmony. I found this quote a few years ago, one of the first sermons I preached on this topic. Warren Worsby said, short tempers do not make for long ministries. I think that's excellent. Short tempers, someone who is easily angered, who is going to tell you off, give, give you a piece of his mind, that's not going to go well. Short tempers do not make for long ministries. The end of verse 3 says that he's not covetous. Other translations say that he's not greedy. He's not a lover of money. He's not doing it for the money. In this case, we're talking about electing lay elders. They're not getting paid at all. But in, in the same sense, they're not doing it for power either. It's not ego. But not covetous. What does covetous mean? It means that I want something that I don't have. Or I want more of something that I do have. That's what covetous means. I, I'm not satisfied. I don't have enough. There's not a place for that in someone who's going to serve the church as an elder. Someone who always wants more. David Guzik wrote that a man who is constantly dissatisfied is not fit for leadership among God's people. An elder is going to be making financial decisions. An elder is going to make interpersonal decisions. He can't do that because he wants more for him. Someone who's always wanting that new toy, that new whatever the item is, never has enough, always seeking for something more, there should be a satisfaction, a holy satisfaction that is part of an elder's life. Verses 4 and 5 go together. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? It's a good question. It's in parentheses in my translation. So what is this saying? This is saying that a man's home is the proving ground for what we're reading about here as qualifications. Can he do it at home? If he can't do it at home, don't expect it to happen at church. It's not going to. So what's being described here? One who rules, organizes, manages his own house well. That he is leading his home. That he is discipling his children. I'm going to go to another verse from Titus, the parallel passage, and I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified Bible because I think the wording is a little simpler for us. So, 
for the word blameless, the Amplified has a man of unquestionable integrity, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of being immoral or rebellious. And the not accused is about his children, not about him, because that's covered about him other places. So having children who believe, believing children, not accused of being immoral or rebellious. Does that mean that if a man's children do not all have a personal relationship with Christ, that he's automatically disqualified? No, not necessarily. But what this is suggesting in Titus, and then back in our passage in 1 Timothy, is that he is doing what he can to teach his children the ways of God. I just read the beginning of the book of Judges this week. Those of you who are on the reading plan, we're in Judges and Luke now. And I was stunned again by the statement that this generation, their parents had crossed the Jordan, had seen the walls of Jericho come down, had seen God give victory after victory for them to conquer the inhabitants of the land, the works of God. And what does it say there? That the next generation didn't know God and didn't know the works of God. Their parents hadn't even bothered to tell them, hey, he dried up the river so we could walk through. He made the walls of Jericho come down. They didn't know the works of God and they didn't have a personal relationship with him. It is imperative that we, I'm looking at all the men, all the women in the room who have children, parents, that we are discipling our children. And in the case of an elder, he needs to be leading his family towards spiritual things. Does that mean his children are going to be perfect? I sure hope not. I'm in trouble. Children are children. And there are times where they will sin just as their parents sin. But what is the direction of that household? Are, are the children unruly, totally out of control, and nobody's doing anything about it? Or when their sin is it being dealt with, is the gospel being taught and repeated and repeated? Children here, I believe, applies to children living at home, still under their father's authority. And that word for submission here is a military term. So the same way that you're going to have a commanding officer that you are under and you're going to submit, you're going to obey him. Are the children doing that? Because here, here's what this comes down to. If I am one thing here at church and I, I create a, a persona and I go home and it's not real, guess who's going to notice? My children. Do you think they're going to want to do anything to do with God or the church? Probably not. They're going to Dad's a hypocrite. I don't want any of that. I'm getting out of this as soon as I can. And there are going to be problems at home. may not be the only reason there will be problems at home. But generally there are going to be problems at home if any father, particularly someone who is a church leader, isn't living the same way at home as he does in front of other people at church. And that's what's, what I believe Paul is getting at here. Because how is he going to be able to take care of the church of God if he doesn't know how to rule his own house, if, if his children are rebellious? Verse 6, he's not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. By not a novice, it means that he has some spiritual maturity. It's the same idea that's in the word elder. If someone were to be saved today and baptized the next time we have a baptism, I, I wouldn't likely be saying, all right, 
This is the person we need as our next elder. Because there needs to be some time, some seasoning, some time to grow. Because it, it takes all of us time to grow, does it not? I hope you're growing right now. I hope God has taught you things this week, this year. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't see this before. God, forgive me. Please help me. Grow me in your grace and in your knowledge. And that's what's going on in this type of person's life. And there's been some time for that. And there's spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. That's what not a novice means. I think it's interesting that in that verse, lest he be puffed up with pride, coming to the same condemnation as the devil, the devil's mentioned in verse 7 too. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He has a good testimony, a good reputation. When it says those who are outside, it means unsaved people. And we're talking, again, primarily in the context right now of lay elders. What do people think of that person at work? Well, he's a jerk. He's a horrible boss or he's a horrible employee. No. He needs to be thought well of. That, man, I, I need five more of that person on my team. I, I wouldn't want to work for anybody else in the company. Because that person is gracious, that person is kind, that person loves and cares for the people he comes in contact with. That person is honest. That person puts in a legitimate day's work, gets things done on time. That's what we're talking about here. Again, perfection? No. But the manner of life, the characteristics, by and large, I can count on that person. That person would be qualified to be an elder. having and maintaining a good reputation before unbelievers. So that's our list from 1 Timothy 3. God has provided specific qualifications for church leaders, in this case elders, and most of these qualifications are also commands for all believers. So this, this sermon obviously has been primarily toward believers, primarily toward our own congregation. But understand that if there's anyone here, anyone watching online, that you've never come to the point that you are putting your faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ for salvation. And that's the invitation for you today. That's, that's the response that you could make. That I will call on Jesus. I will depend on him. I will begin my spiritual journey to maturity. Believers, I have two main applications for you today. Members who are in the room. Do the men that we're considering meet these qualifications? I believe they do because I've recommended along with the other elders. Not that they're perfect, but are they qualified? And then all believers, whether or not you're a member, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you willing to evaluate your own life against these standards? No, ladies, I don't expect you and neither does God want you to be the husband of one wife. That's not how that works. But most of them apply, right? Are you willing to evaluate your own life against these standards? Because so many of them are commands to us elsewhere. Male, female, adult, child, you may never be an elder or deacon. You may, not, may or may not be, but I pray that some of you will. And men and young men in the room, do you aspire to be an elder? Like we talked about at the beginning. One who desires to be a bishop desires a good work. Women, will you pray for your husband to be this kind of man 
Children, will you pray that your father would be this kind of man? And all of you, would you continue to pray that God will raise up godly leaders for our congregation? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Before ending the service, I'd like to give a brief period of time, and I will keep it brief, for you to respond to anything that God has shown you today. If there's something that God has shown you that needs to be changed in your life, confess known sin, ask for God's help. You say, well, there's not anything that's really coming to mind. I don't think the Holy Spirit's shown anything. That's fine. Whom can you pray for? A husband or a father? Or the elders of this church? Dear Lord, we thank you for the practicality of your word. Thank you for giving us these qualifications. Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding and that you give us wisdom. Lord, if there's anyone here who has not called on you for salvation, let this be the day of salvation for that one. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.